Hello and welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Gore, the group CEO and founder here at EMG Health. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by not just one, but four brilliant guests from Ipsen UK's An Island team. First of all, we have Managing Director, Asad Mohsin Ali. Uh, if you're a long-term listener, then you'll know that we've had the pleasure of interviewing Asad before on the podcast uh, over a year ago now. Uh, so it really is a pleasure to welcome him back. Great to have you back, Asad. Thank you very much, Spencer. Great to be here. Great stuff. Then next of all, we have Ali Rees. She is the Acute Oncology Business Head at Ipsen. Welcome to the podcast, Ali. Thank you, Spencer. Great to be here. Good stuff. Good stuff. Next up, we've got Andrew Adams, the Director of Business and Customer Excellence. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Spencer. And last but not least, we have Country uh, Medical Director Manjinda Baines. Hello to you. Hi, Spencer. and looking forward to our discussion. Great stuff. So it's great to have you all here today. Uh, the Ipsen team have joined me today to discuss a very important and, and topical subject. Uh, at high-performing teams and the value of these teams in times of crisis. Namely, uh, in this case, in the face of a pandemic. Um, so first of all, to give our listeners a bit of background, could you each briefly share with us uh, how you came to join Ipsen uh, and give us a snapshot of your role within the company? Great, uh, Spencer. I'll kick off. I just wanted to say a uh, pleasure to be speaking to you again and delighted to be part of an EMG Gold session again. Um, I joined Ipsen in September 2018, uh, almost two and a half years ago. Uh, and I had worked uh, for many years um, in my career in big pharmaceutical organizations, so got quite a good sense of how a big pharmaceutical organization works. And then, as you know, after you know, a long stint I had in, in big pharma, I went to the other uh, end of the scale and joined a startup biotech company, which was also a fascinating experience and a completely different set of capabilities, capabilities and leadership experience and, you know, how you get a team together to achieve sometimes the unimaginable. And especially when you're competing against uh, players who are uh, much uh, bigger than you. Uh, and then um, one of the reasons I, I came to uh, Ipsen two and a half years ago was I was really inspired by Ipsen's uh, leadership. And Ipsen is a 90 year old uh, French company, as, as people would know. And it's been in the UK and Ireland for the last four decades. And in the last few years, Ipsen has really been has been continuing to build on its legacy and really kind of reinvigorating its focus. So as, as some of your listeners may know that recently we've been really tightening our focus on specialty care, specifically focusing on oncology, neuroscience and rare diseases, and really ensuring that the way we commercialize uh, our assets, our our drugs, and and the way we develop our pipeline is 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 done in a very very effective and efficient manner. So that was kind of the what really brought me to Epson. That that excitement, that that challenge of being able to be part of an organization that again is not very big. We only have five thousand eight hundred employees globally, of which nine hundred are in the UK and Ireland, and so we are big enough to have you know uh, some kind of an impact uh, to patients. But I think small enough also uh, to have that agility and, and nimbleness uh, to really uh, each one of us, you know, having a tangible contrib contribution to the organization. Fantastic. Brilliant to hear. Thank you very much. Um, likewise, Ali, would you would you care to do the same? Yeah, absolutely. Spencer, thanks. So um, similar to us, I've been in the industry for nearly 20 years um, and actually started my career um, over 17 years ago in large pharma. 
And my roles have been sort of numerous across the business, starting really early in, in the life cycle um, of products in terms of clinical operations. And so working on pre-licensed clinical trials across a number of different indications. And then more recently through to brand management and sales leadership across oncology and non-oncology indications. And I think when I reflect back and think about what brought me to Ipsen in January 2019 was that opportunity to work in a smaller company where there's more development and, and, and need to have a, a sort of a multiple skill set and, and really be in a position where I could use all the skills I'd learned in a number of roles across the past 17 years. So for the past 12 months, I've been in the role of business unit head for acute oncology. And that is looking after the sales and marketing teams, um, specifically within the acute oncology um, sector of the business here in the UK. Brilliant. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, over to you, Manny. Hi, Spencer. Yes, um, I've been with Ipsen since June 2019. That's almost uh, 19 months now. I'm a trained physician by background. Um, I practiced in the NHS for almost nine years. Um, I was a trained surgeon, an orthopedic surgeon before moving into industry um, 14 years ago, where I've worked across a range of different organizations as well as different functions. And when I found out about the, the role that was available in the in the UK at Ipsen, um, I was really excited. Ipsen has been um, on a real transformation and making a, a huge impact um, not only from a business perspective, but on patient lives and the medicines that it brings. And, and actually, I was uh, enthralled and excited to, to join the team and enjoy the journey that um, we not only started um, a few years ago from when I started, but we're continuing to be on. Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, and last but not least, Andrew, uh, over to you. Thanks, Spencer. So um, I've worked, uh, been lucky enough to work in the industry for, for over the past 30 years uh, in uh, a variety of commercial roles, uh, both field and office base, so sales and marketing. Um, I joined um, Ibsen in July 2019. I'd worked with quite a few of the uh, colleagues on the call. Uh, and I think the attraction of Ipsen was that, um, I think as Manny was saying, you know, it, it was a business that was growing um, uh, quite fast, but it was very, very focused and targeted in the oncology area. And uh, it was an opportunity for me to work in a, in a quicker moving environment, but also bring some of the skills that, um, or the best parts, I suppose, of what we've had in Big Pharma as well. So uh, in terms of business and customer excellence, we support the business unit. So we provide the business insights and analytics. Uh, we also support the teams with capability and training. And uh, we're also responsible for the end-to-end -end UK and Ireland supply chain, uh, including working with our home care partners. Brilliant. Great stuff. Thank you very much for that, everyone. Um, now, I'm going to ask all of you, um, and I'll throw it open to whoever wants to go first. But from your experience, what have you discovered to be um, the foundations of a high-performing team? But what do you think sets a high-performing group of people apart from the, the less effective ones? And um, yeah, maybe, Asa, you, you want to kick us off and then I'll go around to the others. Sure, uh, Spencer. A great question. Um, there's so many things. I think the one thing I'd, I'd choose to mention is um, a common purpose and a common vision. And, you know, not... You know, not, not just in terms of what you can see on a nice PowerPoint slide or, you know, literally the posters you have on the wall, but it's it's the it's the translation or not the translation. It's it's what the meaning uh, that 
the vision or the purpose statement has in the individual's heart and mind and gut. So if if you can get a team rallied around the same vision, the same purpose, not only does is that vision and purpose really inspirational for the team and kind of lights the fire in the team, but also everyone knows how the different team members are working towards that common uh, vision and purpose. I think for me, that's one of the very key elements of a high performing team. Yeah, I think that that, that reminds me of uh, the Simon Sinek why. You know, if you all have that why, the rest sort of falls into place from there. Uh, Ali, would you care to come in at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, because I think listening to what Asad is saying and, and adding to that, some of the points that have stood out in my mind over especially the last sort of year would really be around, I think, change agility um, and that sort of absence of fear of failure. So an ability, sort of an ability to constantly challenge, check on that, checking on strategy and, and really having a clear understanding on what the return is on, on any investment of time or effort that you're making as a team is really important. And the cross-functional alignment piece as well. So gaining internal and external information and as much of it as you possibly can. So for me, it's kind of the complete polar opposite of working in silos so that you have a completely aligned and informed approach. And I think thinking of what you need, I think also it's optimism being confident that you can make a difference and that you can really have that high performance mindset can be quite infectious. And so you create that positive arena in which your team can build on and really kind of go the extra mile in everything they're doing. Brilliant. Totally agree with all of that. Uh, Manny, I think you want to come in at this point? Yeah, I um, completely agree with, with Assad and Ali of what they've brought out. Um, I just wanted to focus in on, on some specific tangible aspects, which is around having trust and respect as important factors, having those clear goals, um, really having defined roles and responsibilities. I think, um, as Ali um, there really alluded to, was, was that cross-functional aspect, but really having clarity about what each person is bringing, what each person is doing, and and how we're all contributing to that to that common goal that Assad Assad talked talked about, and then there's um really from a day to day perspective is managing work and deadlines based on priorities. I think there's there's obviously multiple conflicting things that that people have um in relation to that that team, and it's really focusing on what is the most important aspect and and really focusing in and delivering on that in order to achieve that common goal. Yeah, great, great stuff. Uh, Andrew, do you want to come in at this point? Yeah, I think it's um, it, it, it's really good. I'd like to be able to just pull together something both Ali and Manny were talking about, and, and they both mentioned trust and, and, and cross-functional alignment. So particularly amongst the leadership team, you know, high-performance leadership team, um, the trust is really important. The first part of that should be a given, which is, uh, you know, and not always is, is the fact that everybody's trusted for their functional expertise. But then there's the trust about challenge. So, you know, when we're all trying to have a common goal, um, we have to be much more comfortable, I suppose, with being challenged uh, as individuals, um, keeping that challenge within the team. It's very, very healthy. But then obviously, more importantly, be being very, very aligned, you know, particularly when we sort of transfer that performance, a high performing team out to our teams. Yeah, I, I mean, it's something we work on at EMG. It, 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 a huge, spend a huge amount of time on on trust, and it, it, yeah, we, we we've done a lot of work on Patrick Lencioni's um, five dysfunctions of a team, and the foundation there is all about building that trust. So, yeah, great, great points all round. Um, m- moving on, when when the COVID nineteen pandemic first hit, you know, pretty much a year ago now, 
how did you adapt from working together physically to working remotely? Um, and, and I guess what unforeseen challenges presented themselves and how did you manage to overcome these? And, and uh, maybe I'll go back to you, Andrew, on this question. Okay, thanks, Spencer. Um, I, th I think it was that there were two big groups. I think most of the head office teams um, probably have been used to working sort of remotely, remote from home. So I think that was a little less challenging, although obviously doing that all the time was a huge challenge. Um, we did lose some of that team cohesiveness. Uh, and obviously there's the Zoom or Teams overload that I think everybody's very, very familiar with. In terms of how you overcome that some of it is just experience actually one of the things it just was important was things like physical it you know making sure people had their equipment the the right screens and you know the, the correct desk space um and, and that's not obviously easy for everybody it depends on their their own personal circumstances but that was really really important i think for the sales teams it, it was a real challenge um obviously firstly um just getting access to their customs were difficult. A lot of ours are, are healthcare professionals who've been pulled into the COVID uh, challenges. Um, and also, you know, it, it was very different. Most salespeople in pharma um, are used to sort of being out in the field and driving, and then suddenly that was taken away. So it, it was actually very, very difficult for, for people to adapt. And there's always a spectrum. I think there were some people that adapted very well uh, and some people that found it more difficult. So we worked a lot on the capabilities of that. Um, but I think the most important thing was around motivation and confidence. So it's about trying to give people that uh, or finding out what their motivation and confidence is and what those elements are um, in order to work in a different way. Yeah, t totally agree with that. Totally agree. Uh, Ali, did you want to come in at this point? Yeah, thanks, Ben. So I think building on what uh, Andrew was referring to in regards to the sales team as well, I think my looking back on it, I think it was a bit clunky and a bit chaotic for everybody when we were first in this situation. You know, nobody's expecting to have to change the way they work so dramatically. And I think we all really missed that lack of physical presence in an office or a workplace, whether it was the Ipsen office or whether it was being in a in, in a hospital setting. And I think for the sales teams, as we've talked about a little bit, we had a lot of meetings, a lot of video calls, WhatsApp messages and communications and probably less focused time combined with levels of stress and anxiety for everybody. You know, homeschooling, being in lockdown, isolation from family has been difficult. So more recently, I think we've reverted to probably more organic methods of keeping in touch and it feels more organised and a bit more relaxed in that sense. And so we're, we've worked really hard at Ipsen to balance the needs of our people, the needs of our patients and the needs of the business as well. Um, but I think in my team and particularly in the sales teams to the points Andrew made, I, I sensed a real fire in the belly from people in my team about the need as to why we're here day to day so that to make sure we could continue to operate effectively, but also so that we could stay focused and you know, thinking, as I mentioned, about the challenges of homeschooling, home offices, the fridge being empty, balancing all of those things, but still being able to really focus on delivering for patients, which which is why the team are really there in the first place. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting what you said there. You know, as, uh, when, when, when it first started the lockdown, we we sort of wanted to overemphasize the communication side. So we were doing free, free 15 minute huddles a, a day for each team. We were doing uh, I was doing a daily video for the team to keep in touch yeah. with them. You know, we were doing you know wellness calls. We 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 went probably too far over the top, but we wanted to make sure everyone had that opportunity to have contact. 
And as you say, over the course of the year, you've, we've sort of got that down to a level where it seems about right now. But it, it was very hard to, to get to get to that level. But uh, Manny, did you want to come in at this point? Yes, thanks, Bente. Uh, just to um, highlight on on what Ali and um, and Andrew were talking about, completely agree with in terms of the work life integration and the challenges and and really the way that we were working and communicating. I think the other aspect to to try and bring into focus was the world was also tipped upside down, as it were, for patients and for for healthcare professionals out there. And it was is really aligning what we were doing around some of the challenges that they were facing. And so patients were suddenly being withheld from hospital, access to treatment, the fear of, of what was happening, and, and really the need for augmented ways to get information as well as um, help them through and control their diseases, as well as access to medicines. And then from a healthcare professional perspective, again, access to patients, um, being having clinics closed down um, and trying to do remote calls when the NHS has had um, challenges up to that point in integrating telemedicine and really had to, in a, in a very overnight way, integrate things that it's found challenging for, for many years and um, and managed to do that. And then how we as an organisation were able to communicate then through these new through these new ways of communication that healthcare professionals and patients were opening up to. So not only facing our own challenges, but really being mindful of what was happening environmentally and really adapting and coming around that was um, really heartening to see as well as daunting in that first um, in that first time. Brilliant. And, and, and Asa, can I ask you to add any, any final thoughts on that? Absolutely, uh, Spencer. I think my colleagues have, have, you know, described really well that what we were trying to do with both external and internal stakeholders in the face of unprecedented circumstances, the only I don't know if it's a small point or not, it's a large point, but the only point I, I just want to emphasize is mental health and well-being. And I'm not sure, you know, where the majority of people, you know, in terms of pre, pre-pandemic, I can talk about myself personally. I, I was aware that there was something called mental health and, and well-being pre-pandemic, but the kind of, of how I've immersed myself into the world of mental health and well-being. And I think you, you mentioned yourself, Spencer, that at EMG, you have wellness calls. And I'm sure, you know, other companies as well look at employee wellness holistically. That's that's something which for me, you know, has been something really, really important, something which I discuss you know, whenever I speak to one of my team members in, you know, in, in, in one-to-one calls. Um, we all, this always comes up in some way, in a positive way or whether it's in a group setting. And I think we can all do our bit. And by the way, when I talk about mental health and well-being, I'm not just talking about that from a professional um, uh, way. Uh, so with each other in a high-performing team, I also mean it from a personal perspective. So there's five of us in our house at the, at the moment, right? So me, my wife, and, and three children. If any of the five of us uh, have, you know, are struggling in any way with mental health and well-being, uh, that will definitely affect uh, the other four as well. So I think mental health and, and well-being from both a personal and professional perspective has come to the forefront, I guess, because of the pandemic in a way that never has before. And Ipsen has been has been trying to support um, our teams, our employees with this in, in, in lots of different ways. Yeah, I think one thing that the pandemic has done is, is forced a lot of issues to the forefront and they, they've been dealt with now. And, and I think that's a, or they've certainly been, being dealt with, I should say. Um, so I think that's one good thing that's come out of it. 
Um, so we've we've talked about um, you know the, the foundations of a high performing team, and, and we've talked about how you, were, you you all adapted over the last twelve months or so. Um, you know, as a result of that, can you share with us some of the tangible results that you had uh, and that you were able to achieve over the course of the year um, as a, as a direct result of the strong and effective teamwork that you've done? And uh, I'll come come straight back to you, Asad, if I can on that one. Thanks, uh, thanks, Mansoor. Um, when I look at the results and what we've achieved in 2020, I'd probably like to start uh, with the people, um, not just within my uh, leadership team, but across the wider organization as well. We've seen within uh, 2020 quite a few people developing in their careers, getting promoted, um, uh, adding to their uh, job role. Uh, you know, expanding the, their responsibilities. So it's extremely gratifying for me to see that happening, you know, within such a crazy year, as you know. So for me, that's that's also um, a really tangible result that uh, Ipsen has achieved in 2020. Um, we also have had some unprecedented hiring. I'm not sure how many other companies like Ipsen hired a new CEO during the throes of the pandemic. So David Lowe, uh, our, our CEO, he joined us on the 1st of July, which as you can imagine, which means a lot of his recruitment would have been during the first lockdown, uh, which I think says a lot about, you know, um, Ipsen and lots of people in the UK and Ireland in, in our teams in Andrews, Ali's and Manny's teams also um, joined us, joined Ipsen during the, the, the pandemic. So I'm really, really happy to see that. So you know, maybe this wasn't the answer you might have been exact, uh, expecting in the in terms of what a tangible result. But I would also kind of say, for me, these were also like really tangible results during 2020. No, it, it's great to hear of, of, of companies doing well. It's there's so many companies and people struggling. It's great to hear some of the success stories. Uh, Andrew, can I ask you to to come in at that point? So I think um, you know the ultimate sort of tangible expression for for any healthcare company is how it services its patients. So for me, there were a, a couple of things that that, that were, were were great, and, and in terms of team results, were, were internal and external. So the first one is one of our medicines. Um, uh, a lot of it is is actually administered um, by nurses in the home. Uh, um, we work with the NHS and we support um, that process. So. We spent a lot of time, a lot of effort um, talking to the NHS, finding out um, how we could uh, increase and support that, which we did. Also, um, we also supported a huge amount of patients to actually then sort of self-inject or be injected by their partners. So there was a, a huge amount of, of work and training and support went into that, which actually made a difference to patients' lives. They didn't have to go um, back into hospitals. And a lot of these people would have been uh, at quite high risk um, of COVID. And I think the other thing really is obviously the pandemic itself, and um, particularly in the early stages, provided um, a huge amount of pressure in the system in terms of distribution um, and stock. Um, and all through this, we've had Brexit uh, and the changes in Northern Ireland as well. So it's almost been a perfect storm in, in a way from a, from the, a distribution and supply point of view. Uh, and I think the proud boast from from all of the teams internally and externally at Ipsen is that you know we've managed to keep all our patients. So none of our patients have gone without medicines, which is uh, you know probably the best tangible output of all. Yeah, and if if you can get through that perfect storm, it's only going to get easier. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, Manny, did you want to come in? Yes, um, as I like to, to wholeheartedly um, 
agree with everything my um, colleagues have been talking about. The other thing that I wanted to focus in on was was partnering with the NHS and, and healthcare professionals because as I alluded to um, earlier, was was this radical change from a healthcare professional perspective. And we've really worked and through through our teams, um, both individually and across functions, to really partner and support the NHS in order to ensure medicines are, are access is being given and being used in, in the appropriate ways, but then able to bring community of healthcare professionals together because one thing that really came to light in the pandemic was that cross-functional approach of hospitals and healthcare professionals exchanging information um, was all be, was limited and, and through some of the education programs and initiatives that we've been able to put together has really supported that exchange of information and also ways that different healthcare professionals have been able to approach COVID and, and the changing um, services that they've been providing and being able to share that across units in order to to achieve better patient outcomes and and really part being that really a partner of choice um, and facilitating ultimately better outcomes for patients. Brilliant, great stuff. Uh, Ali, finally to you. Yeah, just to add quickly, I guess to the points that have been made, and I completely agree with um, what's been said. I think. When I think about the acute oncology team, we had to look very quickly at, at the activities we'd planned and, and, and decide whether they were still fit for purpose and, and make some decisions about what was most important. And for us, it was ensuring patients could stay on treatment remotely. Really, really important. So we very quickly sort of refined some of our materials, made sure they were available electronically, which sounds easy, but actually has a lot of um, sort of challenges in, in doing so. But I think what sticks in my mind mostly, and it lends to the point that Asaf was saying, was about the coaching and upskilling of the existing team. So I had a lot of new people in my team last year, but I also, with the sales teams, had a team who have always operated in a face-to-face -face setting. That's the nature of the role. And so what I've seen over the last 12 months nearly now is that agility and that appetite for working in a different way and that's been critical so being able to support the account teams who work with our HCPs to be able to do that differently but still be adding value and still be effective and still have that opportunity with our um, healthcare professionals. Great stuff and, and and we've touched there on, on on some of the tangible results and obviously you know there's been some great results and we we've talked about the growth side of things as well but digging a bit deeper I guess there um, you know, with great challenge or crisis often comes an opportunity for growth and development. Um, how can a team harness positive transformation in the face of adversity, would you say? And and I'll I'll start off, um, Asad, with you on this one again. I think um, I'll go back to something Ali mentioned about optimism. So if if someone is faced with adversity, again, in their personal or professional lives, um, if if they don't have a vision or or, or hope, I don't I don't like using the word hope, uh, but a, a way of seeing, okay, fine, I'm I'm faced with a very adverse situation. However, you know that however is really important. You know, there could also be a, a silver lining to the cloud, for example, or there could be uh, something beneficial which is not apparent to me right now, which is which is not. Be, I, I'm not able to visualize it concretely right now, but I know with, with a certain amount of optimism, with a certain amount of the right kind of mindset, um, I will be able to achieve, achieve something. And so I see that 
uh, a lot as as my responsibility uh, in the team I lead to help people have that kind of mindset to develop that kind of of mindset. And I think the it is something which is developable. Sorry if that's not a word, but people can can develop that, and uh, people can uh, become can practice. You know, like sports, like in sports, for example, you can you can practice. Um, in, in cricket or in rugby or in football, you know, very difficult maneuver, very, uh, you know, a t- technical thing, which is not that easy. But the more you practice that, the better you become at it. So I think you can, it sounds strange, but also practice uh, for adversity so that when adversity does, t- obviously, coronavirus is like an unprecedented kind of adversity. And I hope, you know, the human population doesn't have to deal with that year after year. But separate to coronavirus, all of us as human beings deal with different kinds of adversities on a daily basis. And the, and the more practice you have, the more adept you become at dealing with those as individuals and as a team, the better you can uh, harness the positive as, uh, the sides of it as well. And it, it, it's thinking of all those things that could happen and working out what the solution is so when they happen, uh, in the pressure situation, you know how to deal with them. And it, it's teacup thinking, uh, thinking correctly under pressure. It, it also reminded me what you were saying there of, the 10,000 hours of purposeful learning, you know, the more you practice these things, mm-hmm. the, the, the quicker you are going to be, the, the, the sooner you're going to become an expert in those things. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, Ali, did you want to come in on that point? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think we're all very well practiced in working challenging situations over the last 12 months. I think we've been living and breathing it daily. But I think building on that, as you say, the optimism piece, I think recognition of our own levels of resilience and change agility a, a real positive elements we can take from the, the past 12 months. So seeing different, I guess, examples within my team, but I've been really impressed by people's appetite to change, but ability to change. And I think it's also really important that we recognise and reflect, reflect regularly on what the successes are as a team. So individually, as a business, and to the point, as I made earlier, you know, with our families as well, you know, we are all working from home. It's not been easy for, for people and it's very challenging people with, for example, young children, important meetings and so on. So I think as long as we realise that we have challenges, but that 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 team effort um, is recognised by all, it's really important. But I think the resilience piece just will keep us going and it keeps us optimistic and it keeps us in that situation where we feel that the changes we're making will actually have a positive impact for the long term yeah great stuff uh manny did you want to come in yes thanks spencer i'd just like to um there's there's a famous model um by john cotter which talks about um, models of change and his steps and and really for me focusing in on those first two two steps which is around creating urgency and forming a powerful coalition is the pandemic actually provided uh, a crisis and provided that catalyst for change there's many times um, I've worked with teams where trying to get people to to get that urgency to get that need to change is is take some time um, to get people aligned to but actually as we face with a pandemic the, the world turning upside down as it were overnight it really in its own right created a great catalyst and a driver for people needing to change because everybody's lives did change and then being able to bring the team together around the common goal that Assad alluded to um, earlier was was much easier and and so actually there's great opportunities to be able to utilize um, the the, the um, crisis that we're in to, to drive the change 
journey forwards in our teams. Yeah, it certainly created that opportunity. We, we, we launched three new products last year that we'd been talking about for some time and we'd been working on, but they probably wouldn't have been launched for, for another 12 months or so. And they were launched within a month. So um, yeah, it certainly forced that issue, which is a good thing sometimes. Uh, Andrew, did you want to make a comment there? Yeah, I think it's um, just from a more personal team point of view, people talk about this change and, and, and the challenges. So certainly within my team, people rightly, I think, reevaluated you know we all had to reevaluate what was important our families and you know all was drawn into a huge amount of focus because we we were so in that with them i think what's come out of it is that to a certain extent people have almost repositioned how important their job is so a lot of my team certainly have uh, have said you know my job is really important and i think linked to that the purpose the fact that we're part of a healthcare company is also um helps that process so for me i've seen um uh, sort of an odd thing really that people have found why work is important to them uh, and you know reinforce the fact that in the healthcare you know we're contributing to something positive so that's certainly uh, something that's come positively out of that uh, change great stuff thank you very much guys um uh, just just finally we, we we've talked a lot about what's happened over the last year or so um but looking forward what what revelations has the pandemic revealed that that will shape high performance teams of the future do we think and uh I'll come to you, Ali, on this one first, if you don't mind. Yeah, thanks, Brent. I think for me, it's pretty simple. It's about expecting the unexpected. And I think if you can be agile enough to change quickly and for the better, then you can expect to be the highest performing team in the future. I think hoping that the change is temporary and that there'll be a return to older ways of working or the old days, per se, is kind of the enemy of high performance. So for me, it's really about that expectation of constant change and being able to deal with whatever that would bring. Yeah, I, I was doing a podcast yesterday and, and someone said a similar thing and they, they called it being comfortable with the uncomfortable, uh, which I guess is pretty similar to expect yeah. the unexpected. It's a yeah, great point. Uh, Andrew, uh, I'll come back to you on this one, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, it's just to pick up on where Ali, the phrase that I've said is that we can never go back. Um, so, you know, if we look at the way that, the, particularly in healthcare, that our customers are working with their customers, the patients, you know, they have changed. Um, and some of that will go back, but not all of it. So I think in terms of being high performing, we're going to have to really start thinking about our customers uh, both healthcare professionals and patients and the way that they've changed as well. Um, we talk about being customer centric a lot. Um, and I think everything from the way that we support medically to commercially and sales, we're going to have to take that plunge. So it's a very, very different model. So I think the high performing team will need some of the same skills, but it's going to look very, very different in the way that it's structured. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, Manny, can I come over to you at this point? Yeah, I just wanted to, to reiterate those themes of resilience and adaptability, which people have really shown in, in, in bucket loads, as it were, during the crisis that we've been in. And as Andrew, Andrew alluded to, was um, we are living in a new reality. There are things that have changed because of the, tr uh, because of the pandemic that we will take in once we're through this crisis as, as long-term changes and, and that adaptability in the way that we work and the way that we interact with healthcare professionals and healthcare professionals interact with their patients in this changing model of virtual versus face-to-face -face, um, and what people, uh, we at Ipsen have been able to put into place um, has been great and how we can 
build on this and how both patients and healthcare professionals see those solutions in a different light and to keep driving um, this new reality as we move forward. And, and finally, I'll come, come over to you for the, for, the last, uh, for the last few words I said, if you don't mind. Thanks, Spencer. Uh, my colleagues have raised some excellent points and, and I was just smiling as I was listening to them just now because, you know, what they were describing, I'm lucky enough to experience with them literally on a day-to-day basis. So and I think they've described it really well. Uh, I just wanted to say, make another you know, point, which again, sorry if it sounds a bit weird, but we were we are very lucky, obviously, that we work in the healthcare industry. So in some ways, as we've just heard from Manny and Andrew and Ali, we've obviously we've not experienced the pandemic like the NHS or the HSC or other healthcare systems around the world have experienced it. But we're pretty close in terms of really supplying, you know, uh, essential medicines, uh, life-saving, life-changing medicines um, to patients all around the world. Um, so one thing is maybe it's not a revelation, but, you know, what the pandemic has revealed or has reinforced, let's say, is that health is really important. All aspects of health are really important from infectious diseases, obviously, like um, coronavirus and how the pharmaceutical industry has try to really have a concerted effort into, you know, developing vaccines almost from scratch and then providing those vaccines at large scale around the world. But other diseases are also really important. It's not just coronavirus. So, you know, uh, our ability to treat cancer patients is extremely important. Neuroscience patients with spasticity or dystonia or patients with rare diseases, you know, patients who might, you know, even in good times, those, those patients would would not have good access to medicine, let alone in, you know, pandemic times. So I think focus on healthcare, I'm really glad in a way that has focused everyone's attention on on how important it is to have good health. And I've just, you know, talked about some examples of good physical health. But as we've discussed earlier, the other thing the pandemic has uh, revealed, which I think, again, will have an impact on how we work together is, is mental health. And so, you know, a team that focuses on on you know the same goals the same objectives the team that is healthy physically and emotionally and mentally a team that has each other's backs and that reminds me by the way spencer just like you we also work off the basis of lencioni's uh, pyramid uh, the five dysfunctions of a team i think a, t- a team that has those elements and that will continue to have those uh, uh, elements in 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 crazy times uh, is always going to be a high-performing team that provides the best possible results for all its stakeholders, whether it's its own employees, whether it's um, healthcare professionals, or whether it's patients around the world. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Sadly, that's all we've got time for, but there's been some absolutely fascinating insights there. Uh, Asad, Ali, Manny, Andrew, thank you all very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to have you on for the discussion. And to all of our listeners, uh, I hope you enjoyed this slightly different episode of the podcast and do tune in next Tuesday for another great episode. Take care for now and goodbye.